Our reading this evening is from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. And that's page 1020 in the Church Bibles. Mark chapter 30, 14, verse 1. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. It's good to see you all here. How do you know what gift to get someone? How do you know if it's too much, but not too little either? Well, hands up if you've started your Christmas shopping yet. Hands up if you've made a, made a good start. Okay, I'm impressed. There's quite a good few of you there, quite an organised congregation here this evening. Well, well done. Well, I wonder how you've been getting on. It can be really hard, can't it, knowing what is the right gift for someone. We have our staff secret Santa coming up, and I'm sure some of you will be doing secret Santa at your places of work or with your families at home. And you've got a budget, haven't you? Uh, And you're wondering how to spend that £10. Should you go for something thoughtful or is the vibe more of a jokey Christmas present? It can be really hard to know. Maybe you're like Sheldon Cooper, who's in the green there on the picture behind me, uh, from the Big Bang Theory, who sees Christmas as a really stressful time of year where you have to calculate how good a friend the other person is. And from that, work out what kind of gift they'll give you so that you can match it. Well, in an episode, Sheldon ends up buying Penny, the woman who lives uh, across the hall from his apartment, loads and loads of different bath item gift hampers, all different sizes and costs, so that after he has received her gift, he can then work out which one to give to Penny and then return the rest. Not too much and not too little. 
Well, it turns out in the episode that Penny has got Sheldon, who's a big sci-fi nerd, a napkin signed by none other than Le uh, Leonard Nimoy, uh, who plays Spock in the original Star Trek series, Leonard Nimoy. Well, Sheldon is speechless. But after a while, he goes into his room and gets uh, not one, not two, but all the bath item gift hampers. Because in his mind, there is nothing than that can match up to the amazing gift that Penny has given him. And at the end, after all that, he still says, it's not enough. Well, in our passage that we're looking at this evening, we see a woman who gives an extreme, an extravagant gift. But in her eyes, it could never be too much. What's the backdrop to this great gift giving? Well, Jesus and his disciples have entered Jerusalem. Jerusalem, a city that was in a highly volatile state. The people wanted a hero, a king who would kick out the occupying oppressive Romans. They wanted a Messiah, and they wanted one now. Jerusalem was ready to explode. But for the Jewish religious leaders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they perceived a different crisis. And they had confronted Jesus in the temple, and it had gone really, really badly for them. They were left looking pretty stupid and feeling ridiculous. Jesus had showed them up to be the hypocrites that they were. Each engagement with Jesus led to another defeat and another defeat. It couldn't go on. It wouldn't. And so, in Mark 12, verse 12, which is on the screen behind me, we see that the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against him. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. They're in a real dilemma here. The city is in great unrest. The people want a hero to rescue them, a messiah. And so they can't simply go in, march in there, and arrest Jesus without it all massively kicking off. And we see that at the beginning of a passage that we're looking at this evening in Mark 14, verse 1 to 2. Have a look with me. Now the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. But the answer to their dilemma comes in uh, chapter 14, verse 10, at the close of our passage that we're looking at today. The solution to the Jesus problem comes when, verse 10, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, one of Jesus' inner circle, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Why would Judas do something like this? How could he treat Jesus in this way after all they had been through together? Well, what's missing from this story is Judas's motive. It's unclear as to why he would give up the one who had been, who had been following for three long years. Where you might expect to see uh, a comment about Judas's motive, 
the story. The storyline of the religious leader's dilemma and of Judas's betrayal is interrupted by this account of extreme and extravagant gift-giving. The Gospel writer Mark, he often does this, interweaving two stories together to show us a bigger truth that if told separately, these stories would miss. Both of these accounts together point us to Jesus' death. Mark takes us with Jesus and the disciples two miles outside of Jerusalem to Bethany, where they've gone to have a dinner party with a guy called Simon. And it's at this dinner party that we notice three key things. Firstly, an extravagant gift, a terrible waste, and finally, the ultimate gift. Well, firstly then, an extravagant gift. It's as Jesus and his 12 disciples are eating at the table of Simon that this woman enters the scene. Mark gives her no name. We're not told about her past. The focus isn't on who she is, but on what she does. She enters the dining room. All eyes are on her. She goes over to where Jesus is sitting. And she brings out this jar made of alabaster. And I've got a, pi- here, a picture here of what uh, an alabaster jar might look like. She breaks it, and immediately the whole house is filled with a strong smell of this perfume, this nard. I don't know if you've ever been to the Lush shop in town. It's a soap shop. And you don't even have to walk into the shop to smell it. As you walk past it, probably the other side of Festival Place, you can smell it, can't you? It's a really strong smell, this scented soap. Well, Simon's dining room is Bethany's answer to Lush here. The smell of this perfume fills the house. And she pours it over Jesus' head, over the man who sits before her. She anoints Jesus with it. And we've been thinking about the right gift to get for someone, to show them that you love them. And here, does this woman show that she loves Jesus? Is she grateful towards him? Well, you can see the gift, can't you? You can smell the gift. It covers Jesus from head to foot. This is an extravagant gift. And we recognise just how extravagant it is when we're told in verse 4 that the nard made from dried leaves of of a Himalayan plant would have cost this woman more than a year's wages. A year's wages. The average wage here in the UK at the moment is £27,000. Imagine what you would do with that kind of money. Think of all the things that you could spend it on and put it to good use. This perfume would have cost this woman. It didn't come cheap. This is a seriously extravagant gift given from an extravagant love for Jesus. For this woman, it's all about Jesus. And so she unreservedly gives her gift. But not everyone at the table appreciates this woman's actions. Some think it's a waste. And, it brings us, and this brings us on to our second point, a terrible waste. We read in verse 4, 
some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. For these people at the table, this act is not an extravagant gift. It's a terrible waste. I don't know if you've made the most of the Black Friday sale that we've been having in the last couple of days since Friday, but I was looking at some articles online about past Black Fridays, and they're quite interesting. There's one article of a woman who queued for 12 hours and left the store having bought 50 towels. When asked, she simply said, they were $2 each. Like She didn't have a choice in the matter. It's a waste of time and a waste of money. Or in another Black Friday incident, a man bought over $300 worth of accessories for his car. From discounted hubcaps to windscreen wipers and air fresheners, the lot. But it only later transpired that the man in question didn't actually own a car and he couldn't even drive either. <laughs> it's another terrible waste. And here with this woman. It's not a Black Friday sale, but the disciples have seen her pour this perfume over Jesus, and all they see is a terrible waste. And you can kind of get where they're coming from, can't you? Surely the money could have been put to better use. Well, back in Mark 6, we see the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And before Jesus performs his amazing miracle that you'll be familiar with, he asks the disciples, he says, you go and feed them. Of course, they're like, what? can't feed 5,000 people, Jesus. That would cost a lot of money. Specifically, uh, eight months' wages worth of money. And of course, we then later see Jesus go on to perform a miracle with just the loaves and the fish. But if you could feed over 10,000 people, the other 5,000 men, plus the women and children, on eight months' wages, imagine how many you could feed on a year's wages. That's how much this perfume cost. Those at the dinner table say that the money could have been used to help the poor. And we're kind of on the same page as them, aren't we? Thousands of pounds, thousands of pounds wasted, literally poured away. It's a terrible waste. But there's someone else at the table who disagrees with them, who tells them to leave her alone. It's Jesus, the one who's been anointed. And he says it's not a terrible waste, but a beautiful gift. But it's only a beautiful gift in light of the ultimate gift, which is our final point this evening. Look at me at verse, uh, look with me, not at me, uh, at verse 6. Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Is Jesus unconcerned for the poor? Well, absolutely not, unsurprisingly. Looking at the Gospels, we see that the vast majority of Jesus' ministry was spent with the poor teaching them, living with them, eating with them, because they were the ones who were the sheep without a shepherd. 
if you were to turn back just three pages to Mark 10, you would see that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve the least. So this must be a really big deal. If Jesus is saying, this is more important. How is it more important? Because this is a one-off special event. They would always have the poor to care for and support as Jesus taught them, but the disciples would not always have Jesus. It's a beautiful gift from this woman, not because Jesus needs a new smell, but because he was going to die. Remember the two scenes. You've got the religious leaders who are pulling out their hair, desperately thinking of ways to be able to arrest and kill Jesus. And here you have Jesus sitting calmly, accepting this woman's devotion and love and interpreting it as his funeral rites. What is she doing here? Well, she's giving Jesus his funeral anointing, perhaps unknowingly, but nevertheless, she is preparing Jesus for his death. Where we have coffins and top hats with funerals, in Jerusalem, they would have anointings. And that's what we see going on here. Jesus plans to die. He tells the disciples to leave her alone. He tells them off because they should have got it by now. Time and time again, Jesus had predicted his death and yet his disciples kept missing the big picture. And so here, Jesus makes it clear. This is a beautiful gift. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And Jesus finishes his defense for this woman by, in verse 9 by saying, Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Why was this particular act so noteworthy? Why was this gift such a big deal? Because it pointed to what Jesus was going to do. Because it symbolized Jesus' death. With her gift, this woman points to the heart of the gospel message. Her extravagant gift points to the ultimate gift. What is that ultimate gift? Well, it's Jesus' death on the cross. That is the ultimate gift. Given to those in such dire need. Those who are lost without it. Given at such a great cost. Jesus suffered, bore God's anger and died so that we could have a gift of life forever with a new, mended relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. Nothing in the Black Friday sales could possibly come close to that kind of a gift. So that's why this woman does uh, that's why what this woman does will be told all over the world. Because it points, points us to that ultimate gift. The very best gift that you could ever have. Eternal life through Jesus' death. What kind of gift are you going to give in return for that? How would, I wonder, Sheldon Cooper handle this situation? We can't match up to Jesus' gift here. 
That's nothing we can give. That's nothing we can give up. No lifestyle that we can live that will be equal to this ultimate gift. But wonderfully, we don't have to. Jesus gives this gift to us freely. All we have to do is gratefully accept it. And if we really understood this gift and its great cost, then we will love Jesus as this woman does here. This woman gets it. She wasn't trying to even the scales between herself and Jesus. She was simply showing her great, great love for the one who had given her everything. She recognised that in the light of the ultimate gift that Jesus was going to give, there was no gift too extravagant. But as we close, we see that this is all too much for Judas. After Jesus has finished speaking, Judas heads out into the night to betray him. Why? Why would Judas do this? Envy? Judas wanted the praise that this woman had received. He had never been told that what he had done would be told all over the world. Greed. Judas wanted the money not to give to the poor, but to keep for himself. We're told in John's accounts of this event that Judas was a thief, someone who took money that wasn't his. But perhaps the greatest motivation of all more than the envy and the greed, was that, was that Judas harboured in his heart was a feeling of disappointment. Like many of the people there, he wanted a strong leader who would crush their enemies. But instead, he got Jesus. Jesus, who wasn't going to kick out the Romans, but was going to die by their hands. Judas Here's Jesus speaking here of his impending death, his seeming defeat, and he's had enough. He gives up on Jesus and gives Jesus over to the religious leaders. And maybe you've felt those things before. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're envious of others who don't have to lose their Sundays, who can say what they want, who can go where they want and do what they want and sleep with who they want to. You want more and you're disappointed in Jesus. It's tough being a Christian. It's not always easy. But look at the two individuals here in this passage, this woman and Judas. For Judas, it's all about himself. What can Jesus give me? Or can I get a better deal elsewhere? But for the woman, it's all about Jesus. She gives her everything to Jesus, recognising that Jesus has given her everything. Given her that ultimate gift of life. So, who are we in these verses? How about us? Are we like the religious leaders who just want Jesus gone? He makes you look bad. All this talk of sin, all these feelings of guilt. You just want Jesus out of the picture. Are we like those at the table who tell this woman she's stupid for wasting so much money? 
They don't see it as an act of love, but a terrible waste. Is living for Jesus and loving Jesus something that we see as a little bit OTT, over the top? Just a bit embarrassing. Well, reading God's word is great when you're at St. Mary's, but read it every day by yourself? It's just a bit keen, isn't it? Or are we like Judas, where it's all about us? What can Jesus offer me? What do I get out of being a Christian? When the going gets tough, when it's not sexy to be a Christian, do we, like Judas, head out into the night in search for a better offer? Do we only follow Jesus when it's easy? Or are we like this woman here who simply loves Jesus? It's all about him. She pours out everything she has for him. And how can we do anything else when we realise that Jesus has freely given us the ultimate gift? So my final question for you this evening is, do you value this gift? If perhaps you're feeling envious of what others have, of their position, if you're feeling disappointed in Jesus, then maybe you've never fully understood this gift that he offers each and every one of us here this evening. It's a costly gift, costing Jesus his life. It's the perfect gift. It gives us exactly what we need. It gives us hope in despair, freedom in slavery, life in death. It's the ultimate gift. Will you take what Jesus offers? So, this Christmas, when you're hunting for the right gift to buy, remember that God has given you the ultimate gift. One that you will never be able to match up to. All we can do is respond with a great love for Jesus as we accept this gift of life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the example of this woman here. We thank you for her extravagant love for you. Help each and every one of us here this evening to understand the gift, the ultimate gift that you have given us of life forever with you in perfection. Help us to receive that gift gratefully and to respond by loving you, recognising there is nothing that we can give but to simply accept it and love you. We thank you for all these things and pray that we will respond in the way that you want us to this week. Amen.